The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my new friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The Michael King Show. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Oh, I know you are so confused by the fact that the screen says Thursday, the theme music says Friday, and you have no idea what's happening. Well, that's okay, because today we are going at it a little bit differently. Tomorrow is Friday. Today is actually Thursday. Um, But since we are going to be off the air tomorrow, uh, the show is, not the radio stations. The radio stations will be playing alternate programming. Uh, I decided that we needed to have our weekly chat on firearms. And whether you want to call it, uh, somebody said tactical Thursday. I don't think that that, you know, I think it's just, you know, I think it's just Thursday. I think it's just Thursday. And uh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about it. I know people are like, I'm so confused. Is it Friday or is it, you know, what? Um, so I will be off the air tomorrow. Um, you'll have alternate programming in, uh, in, you know, across the state and on Monday as well for the holiday, I will be out. And so just F Y I, that's what's happening. Um, we're going to, uh, we're, we're going to dive into this and, uh, today we're going to spend a little bit of time going, uh, over what has happened in Uvalde, Texas and, the response to it, uh, some of it, I guess you could say typical, understandable, um, and um, and and just kind of get some feel. We're gonna get we're gonna get your feelings on it. I'm gonna talk about it. I'm gonna give some of my thoughts um, as well as to what you know what has happened, what can what can be done, what can we do to fix it? Because so far, what we've seen is a whole lot of posturing. And a whole lot of virtue signaling from many of the politicians out there who want to use this as some kind of springboard to further an agenda that really is not going to do anything to stop what's happening already. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that. In hour two of the program today, we're going to get a chance to chat with my good friend um, Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine, who wrote a piece uh, that was produced yesterday that talks specifically um, about the response and the irrelevancy of that response to the actual effects and things that are actually happening out there. So we're going to talk with Jacob Sullum in hour two of the program today. Uh, no Willie Waffle this week. I gave Willie the week off uh, uh, when I decided to uh, when I decided to take that. So we're going to have to wait. Where we're hoping to hear from him on Top Gun and some other stuff. We're going to hear about that next week, <clears throat> and probably we'll have more. We'll probably have more information, uh, uh, you know, or more uh, more stuff to talk about next week as well for the entertainment report and all that. So, um, it um, 
that's that's the show today. Now, let me just start off by saying this, and I talked a little bit about it yesterday um, when I made the announcement that we were going to be doing the firearm stuff today, and we were going to talk about Uvalde and and everything else, and that I that I, I said yesterday that I wasn't ready to talk about it uh, because uh, you know I, I, I because I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken at the thought of so many innocents, you know, again, dying so tragically in uh, in this horrible, horrible situation. And I was appalled by the actions of many to immediately embrace the Rahm Emanuel school of thought of Never let a crisis go to waste. And I mean, I was just, I was just shocked and blown away. And I was angry. I was angry, obviously, at the perpetrator um, of this crime. Um, Angry that things had gotten to this level for him and for those around him. That, you know, things had gone unsaid or undone. That we've seen, you know, continual failures on in many of these instances of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, shooting deaths and mass shootings specifically, where warning signs have been ignored and things have have just kind of gone off the rails. And then, of course, we want to blame everything else when it's been uh, many times the failure of those that are purportedly in charge of the situation to address it in a timely manner. But most importantly, I really, really got upset with the president of the United States. Now, I know some of you will argue about, well, he's not really my, you know, whatever. But here is the president of the United States standing in front of the American people in a time of absolute tragedy. And he's going to open his mouth and 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 start to talk. And when the when the speech started, I thought, here's a man who himself has lost two children, and understands the pain that some of these people are going through. And I thought that he was going to take that opportunity to maybe heal some wounds, to you know bring the country together, to do some things like that. And because it, it looked like. For the first bit, it looked like that was what was going to happen. I thought maybe I was going to be pleasantly surprised. This is President Joe Biden on the uh, eve of that shooting, or excuse me, on the, the evening after that shooting, making his comments for the first time. And I'm going to play them. And we're going we're gonna to talk about what happens here. This is the president after the Uvalde shooting uh, as he came out in front of the reporters with his wife. Here's what he had to say. Good evening, fellow Americans. I had hoped when I became president I would not have to do this again. Another massacre. Uvalde, Texas. An elementary school. Beautiful. Innocent, second, third, fourth graders. And how many scores of little children who witnessed what happened 
see their friends die as if they're on a battlefield, for God's sake. <clears throat> They'll live with it the rest of their lives. There's a lot we don't know yet. There's a lot we do know. The parents who will never see their child again, never have them jump in bed and cuddle with them. <clears throat> parents will never be the same. To lose a child is like having a piece of your soul ripped away. There's a hollowness in your chest. You feel like you're being sucked into it and never going to be able to get out. Suffocating. It's never quite the same. <clears throat> it's a feeling shared by the siblings and the grandparents and the family members and the community that's left behind. Scripture says, Jill and I have talked about this in different contexts, in other contexts. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So many crushed spirits. <clears throat> so tonight, I ask the nation to pray for them, to give the parents and siblings the strength in the darkness they feel right now. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? So, I mean, this was, it was touching. I mean, he looks back at his wife. He talks about this feeling. He talks about the tragedy and what they're feeling. He asks, he invokes scriptures and he asks for the nation to pray. And then there's this just weird transition, just like all of a sudden, to the attack dog mentality. I mean, it's it's it's. It, I had to go back and watch it again because I was like, "What? That did I? Did it skip? Did I miss something?" So tonight, I ask the nation to pray for them, to give the parents and siblings the strength in the darkness they feel right now. Boom. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? Uh, you know, it, 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 this is a, it's, the speech is about nine minutes in total. And for two minutes and two seconds, he talks about the people and the unity and coming together and the feeling. And, you know, offering great sorrow. I mean, the things that should be done by a leader during this time. And then he spends the next seven minutes plus talking about gun control and how you, you know, what we need to do and how we need to do it. And why we're also, I mean, he's got some words in here and I'm going to play the rest of this. Uh, not the whole seven minutes of it, but I'm going to play the, a, a little bit more of this because this is where he, 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 he again, takes the takes the the Saul Alinsky, Rahm Emanuel, don't let a crisis go to waste position and uses it on on in the heart of this tragedy, the heart of this tragedy. And uses it to leverage an agenda 
that would have had no effect on this shooting. No effect at all. Here's where he takes off. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? It's been 3,448 days, 10 years since I stood up at a high school in Connecticut, a grade school in Connecticut, where another gunman massacred 26 people, including 20 first graders at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Since then, there have been over 900 incidents of gunfires reported on school grounds. Now, of those 900 incidents, gunfire incidents on school grounds. You're led to believe that children have been attacked by a gunman 900 times. I could tell you through analysis and discussions that I've had with people like Dr. John Lott and others that the vast majority of those are instances where guns were fired on school grounds, usually not while school was in session, gang violence, suicides that take place on school grounds. You know, somebody after school wanders onto a school playground and shoots themselves, those kind. But see, you're led to believe that all those things, you know, this is it. That's what he's talking about. But he's, you're led to believe that there's been 900 incidences of children being held at gunpoint when that's not necessarily the case. But it just furthers his cause. We'll go on. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Santa Fe High School in Texas. Oxford High School in Michigan. The list goes on and on, and the list grows when it include mass shootings at places like movie theaters, houses of worship, as we saw just 10 days ago at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. Uh, all of these places, I will point out, are what we would call soft targets. That's what military law enforcement would call soft targets. They have There is no ability for people to defend themselves. They are all literally gun-free zones. I am sick and tired of it. We have to act. And don't tell me we can't have an impact on this carnage. I spent my career as a senator and a vice president working to pass common sense gun laws. We can and won't prevent every tragedy, but we know they work and have positive impact. When we passed the assault weapons ban, mass shootings went down. When the law expired, mass shootings tripled. Again, this has no basis in fact. Over and over again, they have tried to assess the uh, uh, efficacy of the assault weapons bans, and they found that it had no meaningful impact on gun violence, murder, or crime. Because again, assault weapons are used in such a minute fraction of the overall crimes in America, it has no meaningful impact. But again, the president said it, it must be, damn the facts. The idea that an 18-year-old kid can walk into a gun store and buy two assault weapons is just wrong. 
First of all, he's an 18-year-old, which makes him an adult. It is the law that he could, as an adult, do that. Now, it's also, you know, a, a kid can buy a car when he's 16 and run a bunch of people over. You don't say that's unreasonable that people should be able to buy cars at 16. The idea that an 18-year-old kid can walk into a gun store and buy two assault weapons is just wrong. What in God's name do you need a solvent for except to kill someone? Deer aren't running through the forest with Kevlar vests on, for God's sake. It's just sick. It's just sick. What an, why do you need an assault rifle? It's just sick. That's how they perceive us, my friends. That's how they perceive us. As sick. Because they can't, they just can't imagine what that's all about. We're going to continue this discussion because he had more to say the following day. He had more to say the following day, and I'm going to talk about that as well. And then we're going to talk about how could this be stopped? How can how can we bring how can we fix this? Because all the things he just talked about, none of those things are going to fix this problem. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right. Oh, I'm I'm so heated about this. So heated. I mean, first and foremost, I'm I'm willing to have a reasonable discussion on gun control, but in the middle of this tragedy, I mean, it was almost a bait and switch, wasn't it? I mean, it was almost a bait and switch of. This soft tone of understanding and calling for unity and bringing people together and let's pray and then it's then it's the jump. What do we got? We're gonna stand up to the gun. I mean, it was just this like somebody flicked a switch. It's it's insane, absolutely insane. Uh all right. So we're going to uh, we're going to talk about this. Let me go back into the chat room here to see some of the things that you guys uh, have to say this morning. Um, <clears throat> scrolling backwards. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Children are assets and should be treated as such. Forty B would put. I don't know what 40B is, would put airport-level security in every school. But here we are not protecting our assets. Uh, I don't know as I necessarily think that the answer is to, you know, turn every school into a TSA checkpoint. There are probably some pieces of that we can use, but I've got some hesitancy on some of those things as well. We'll talk about that here in a minute. This is a result of the crap society we live in and the quest of worthless paper we call money. Um, I don't know how the quest for money, I mean, we've all got to live. I don't know if that's part of it. I would say there's definitely some societal aspects of it. It's not about the gun lobby, says Jeannie. Absolutely. Never let a crisis go to waste, says uh, uh, Greg. True. 
Um, how about we follow and enforce existing laws? Says uh, says Greg. I mean, I'm all about all that. Participants are- I mean, we know, for example, we can point to a handful of of these mass shootings just right off the top of my head where law enforcement and the law, if it had been followed, would have stopped some of these things. The Parkland shooter had over two dozen interactions with local law enforcement, and I think it was over a dozen with federal law enforcement. The same thing with the Pulse nightclub shooter. He had interactions. The Sutherland Spring shooter was dishonorably discharged, which was never reported to would have made him an ineligible person under the Nick's background check system. And it was never reported by the Air Force. The government and its agents have continued to fall down. And yet the answer is not what we do. Uh, You know, I mean, it's not what they do or what they fail to do. It, of course, is our problem. That again, 99% plus of all crimes and violent crimes and gun crimes have nothing to do with assault weapons or any of these other things. Um, Deflection, says Jeannie. Uh, Brian says there's a list of those school shootings, quote unquote, floating around on the internet. I'd love to see it, Brian. If you find it, shoot it over to me. But I can tell you of the, whatever he said, 900 instances, I guarantee you the better part of them have nothing to do with what he the picture he's trying to paint. Greg is right. We need to afford enforce existing laws. We also need much better linkage between mental health services and law enforcement. We need to t- need to harden the schools so idiots just can't walk in and do terrible acts. I mean, I I think again we're going to get into that, and I agree with a lot of that. Um. <clears throat> Supreme Court, one of the leading reasons I, the Supreme Court ruling in June of 2015 is 2015 is one of the leading reasons I needed an assault rifle. Yeah, considering TSA's track record, we don't want to model every school after a TSA checkpoint. Oh, the $40 billion in money we gave to Ukraine. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, we're going to jump back into this here. Uh, don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We've got a phone call on hold. We're going to talk to them as well. Uh, let's uh, continue. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. We're continuing. Uh, we're opening up the phone lines for Q&A today. Gun discussions, firearms, talking about this topic and more. 907-433-3150, the Pivotel call-in line, powered by our friends at Satellite West. Uh, I want to continue on with what the president was talking about because the next night he comes back and doubles down on stupid. But before we do that and before we have to jump into that, let's uh, go to the phones. we got a call on hold here, and I want to see what you, the callers, have to say today. Let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah, it's Brady from Vegas. Hey, Brady, what's on your mind? How come all of these shooters all have an AR-15, which ends up to be number six, which is satanic? This is the satanic government. This is another false flag. 
Wait a second. There was no injuries in front of the school. Wait a second. Every one of the injuries, they all died. Wait a second, Brady. I'm trying. uh, Brady, wait. Brady, wait. I'm trying to figure out what you you said. What the six? What? How does six figure into any of what you're talking about right now? AR-15. You add numbers together. One and five equals six. Okay. It's part of the game. You're into numerology now. uh, You're into numerology now. Is that it? I mean, you're you're trying to pull all this together. Um. I mean, not into numerology, but show me the bodies, show me the blood, just like that shooting that was in Buffalo, completely fake. Oh, okay. I'm in. I'm. I'm sorry, Brady. I just can't with you right now today. I. I just can't. Show you the bodies. Show you the things. Uh, I mean, people have died. If you think this is some kind of big cover up or some kind of big theatrical production. First of all, I think you give the government too much credit or whoever it is too much credit because that would be – it's just – stop. Just stop, my friend. Okay? Just stop. I just, I just can't with people like that when we've seen the tragedy – I mean, what would prove it to you? What would prove it to you? News crews going through and showing pictures of the bodies? I'm sure you'd, you'd claim that was fake, too. You know, I mean, do you believe in the moon landing? Do you think that that was faked? I mean, are we living on a flat? Are you a flat earther? I'm just asking. Yeah, like Alex Jones in the Sandy Hook. There's the dumbest thing I've ever, you know, I understand history. I understand false flags. I understand the Reichstag fire. I understand a lot of those things. But there are certain amounts of, you know, the certain scopes of things that I think that are trying to ascribe some kind of big, I, I just, no, I just can't today. I just can't. So the president, again, I just pointed out a few things that, uh, uh, just pointed out a few things that uh, uh, he basically out and out blatantly lies about. And he's done this in the past. You know, he's done this in the past, again, going on about the whole, the assault weapons ban did so much. And yet when we look at it, we see it time and time and time again that it, it didn't. I mean, research is inconclusive. In fact, Reason just recently did an article. I don't know if you've seen this article. We talked about it. Uh, a while ago, and it, it it was a specific deep analysis by the Rand Corporation on um, on the efficacy of a lot of these gun control measures, and they took a look at the assault weapons ban and found that there was no meaningful change. It it, it had no meaningful impact. I posted the link up to that if you want to go take a look at it. But President Biden comes back the next night. He comes back the next night and says, well, you know, I, I've, I've got more to say, apparently. And he starts again. Again, I, I felt like it personally felt like this was just too soon. But he continues to go on again, and this time he's in front of a different audience. And he starts up again with the fictions all over again. 
Oh, they clearly will not prevent every tragedy. He's talking about gun laws, by the way. Oh, they clearly will not prevent every tragedy. We know certain ones will have significant impact and have no negative impact on the Second Amendment. Okay, so which ones are you proposing would have a significant impact, uh, would, have, would, ha- would make a difference and have no significant impact on the Second Amendment? Name me one. This shooter was 18 years old. He went to a gun shop. He bought two brand new guns from an FFL. He passed the Knicks background check. What law are, that you're proposing would have made that difference? Now, the argument would be, well, it's an assault weapon. If he hadn't bought assault weapons, 77% of mass shootings are committed with a handgun. 77% with a handgun. Leaving the other 23% to be split between rifles, shotguns, AR-style rifles. So name me how, you know, outlawing the assault rifle would have made a difference at that point. Because this guy had decided he was going to make a statement. He continues. Significant impact and have no negative impact on the Second Amendment. Second Amendment is not absolute. Let that sink in for just a moment. Second Amendment is not absolute. The Second Amendment is not absolute. Now let's play a little game that I like to call the, con- the uh, substitution game. Almost said the Constitution game. That's a Freudian slip. Uh, it's the substitution game. Second Amendment is not absolute. How about the First Amendment's not absolute? How about the Fourth Amendment is not absolute? How about the Fifth Amendment is not absolute? You can be compelled. They can put people in your home. They can invade your privacy. They can restrict your speech. They can tell you what to say. They can regulate it. They can permit. You've got to have, you have to submit it in writing and have a three-day waiting period before anything that you write can be printed or published or posted online. The First Amendment is not absolute. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard from somebody who supposedly has been one of our leaders for, you know, I mean, the guy, has he ever really held a job in the private sector? No? Okay, never mind then. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the people's right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's pretty absolute. Second Amendment is not absolute. When it was passed, you couldn't own a you couldn't own a cannon. You couldn't own certain kinds of weapons. Uh, again, a hundred percent pure fiction. You could own a cannon. You could own any. There were privateers. There were there were private merchantmen sailing ships that were flying, that were out there doing the work of America under the aegis of Congress, 
They had cannons. Uh, all private ships could have cannons. Private people and individuals could own machine guns. Teddy Roosevelt was gifted for that charge up San Juan Hill, was gifted two machine guns by socialites in New York. Four families in New York got together and they purchased machine guns because Teddy wrote they didn't have the funding to do it. So private citizens purchased machine guns and gifted them to the Rough Riders for the fight in the Spanish-American War. It's a lie. And it's one that is so easily debunked. I'm just... I mean, I'm just shocked. He's repeated this one three or four times already. It is a lie. There is no, there is no, oh, there was just some guns they just couldn't, they just couldn't own. Just, you know. You couldn't own certain kinds of weapons. No, that's not what it says. Shall not be infringed. You're, you are lying and not even, again, not even good lies, not even couched in some kind of weird statistic or some off-brand study or something. You're just basically saying you couldn't own cannons. It's a direct lie. Irrefutable proof. You couldn't own, you know, machine. It's a lie. It's just always been limitations. No. No, there hasn't. Not until 1934 were there limitations on firearms ownership in the United States. We went 135 years before there was limitations of any kind. Now, individual cities, some states, but no federal regulations on firearms until 1934. But guess what? These actions we've taken before, they saved lives, and they can do it again. The idea that an 18-year-old can walk into a store... Here we go again. ...and buy weapons of war designed and marketed to kill. Designed and marketed to (laughs) kill. Yeah, I've been really watching all those uh, big billboards and movies and uh, television commercials and uh, and YouTube uh, 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 commercials for "Come Get Your Killing Machine" over here at uh, you know at Smith and Wesson or at Ruger or at whatever. I've seen all that. Is I think just wrong. It just violates common sense. Even the manufacturer, the the, the inventor of that weapon, thought that as well. He's talking about Eugene Stoner, who never said that. His family had a at a uh, interview with uh, NBC News back in 2015 or tw- or maybe 2017, 2016, 2017, and they thought that their father they didn't know because he never owned one. He passed away in 1997. He never owned one. He never had one. But they were sure they're just not sure that he would be okay with all of America owning an AR. But he never said that. You know, where's the backbone? Where's the courage to stand up to a very powerful lobby? The lobby is 100 million Americans who are armed. That's your lobby. 
The people who own firearms, that's the lobby. You keep talking about the NRA or the gun manufacturers or whatever. No, this is the will of the people. You idiot. The guy's a freaking Muppet, and I... Okay, we're going to go to break. We're going to be back and take some phone calls. And then I, I do want to talk about, uh, you know, what I think can be done to fix it. I don't think station and cops in every school is an answer, but there are some other things. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Man, I just almost lost my stuff there. All right. Um, oh wow, three lines on hold. All right, let me go over to the phones and see who's on the lines. We'll get them all. We'll get them all queued up here uh, for the return to radio. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Layla from Fairbanks. All right, Layla, hold the line, my friend. You will be first in the queue. Long time no here, by the way. Good to uh, let me actually type that in here um, so that I know where everybody's coming from. Uh, all right, let's go over to the uh, next caller. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hello, Mike. This is Jason calling from Fairbanks. I hey. heard Howard Bloom say something last night that shocked me because I thought he was was at least uh, an honest man, but apparently not. Okay, let me uh, let me put you on hold, and we can talk about that. Don't don't go anywhere, Jason. Third in the queue here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? This is Charles at Fairbanks. Uh, Senator Hayakawa, Japanese man, taught me a lot about public speaking, and. Uh, this book was in my speech class in uh, 1987. Right. And uh, to tell the truth, uh, you need to, you know, public speaking, you have to tell the truth or else nobody will believe you. Yeah, no, <laughs> I think that's, I mean, I think that's 100% true, Charles. Uh-huh. I, I think you have to tell the truth. Absolutely. Your credibility is shot. I mean, his credit with Obama. Yeah. I mean, his credibility is shot to begin with. You want to hold on here and we'll be back to you here in a bit? Yeah. All right, so hold on. We'll be back to you here. You're third in the queue. Three in the tree. That's what it is. Three in the phone tree. All right, let me go back here to the uh, comments and see what you guys have to say. Uh, um, sorry, I'm backing up here. Uh, okay. No meaningful impact. This is the point that I keep hammering on, says Floyd. Uh, yeah, no meaningful impact, meaning there's going to be some impact. And first of all, it's going to be meaningful. Uh, meaningful. I mean, saying that the Second Amendment is not absolute blatantly flies in the face of everything that the founders and framers talked about. It is a restriction on government. That's what the Bill of Rights is. That's what the Constitution is. It is restrictive on government, prescriptive to us, restrictive on government. How come school shootings didn't happen before 1966 with Charles Whitman in Texas? History is full of sick puppies. The early 1900s, people could mail order firearms like Tommy guns. Nobody went to schools and shoot up schools. 
only organized crimes abuse, and they use sawed-off shotguns by gangsters. No one thought to shoot up schools. What changed when era of unrestricted firearms acquisition of ninety days ago to today's regulate of ninety years ago to today's regulated firearms and school shootings? There's a huge question in that. Now, actually, the shooting at the Bath, what was it called, the Bath Schoolhouse? That's actually really the first school shooting. And shooting, he used dynamite. He shot. He had a rifle. He had a lever action rifle, but he actually blew up the schoolhouse with dynamite. So, I mean. That's the first one if you really want to get technical about it. But you're right. You know, that, that that's a, that's that's this thing. Oh, Bath. I was right. Bath schools. Jeannie just confirmed it's a Bath schoolhouse. Why does no one talk about the mental health issues in this country? We It's easier to sweep them under the rug. It's easier to medicate. It's easier to ignore and override. Biden doesn't think our Constitution is absolute. And that's exactly it. That just shows out of the mouth speaks the heart. He doesn't think the Constitution is absolute. He thinks the government should have the ultimate say in everything that's going on. Um, uh, let's see. Personally, I still can't get over the thigh. Okay. Like the freaking Twilight Zone. Um, it's been the law in Texas for over 40 years, says Dwayne. I don't know which law you're referring to, Dwayne. But whatever it is, 40 days. Back in the days before World War I, the National Guard did not exist. The 1870s Home Guard units existed. Communities in the Midwest and equipped and outfitted citizens with equipment. That's what the true militia is. They keep trying to say the National Guard is the militia. That's not true. The militia is defined as the people, uh, the whole people. Um, yet you expect the same 18-year-old to shoulder a pack, pick up a rifle, and go to war. But this is Brian talking about when the president said, I can't believe an 18-year-old could go in and buy a gun. I bought my first gun at 18. I mean, I, I, I was, I was, I think I was a week beyond 18. I bought my first handgun because you could do that here in the state of Alaska. I had, I already owned other guns, but that was the first time I had purchased one for myself. The first school shooting. Yeah, okay. Say, uh, no love of country or morals of life prescribed by the left. The feds couldn't control our state militia, so they created a National Guard. That's And that's 100% true as well. When they invaded Mexico and wanted the states to send their militias back up to the militaries, the states said, no, we defend our states, we don't invade countries. All right. Buying a firearm in 18 in Texas was the law he was referring to. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, do me a favor, like and share this video. If you haven't gone out and subscribed to my YouTube page, would you do that as well today? I need 1,000 subscribers, and I'm at like 200. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Here we go. All right. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for coming in and joining us. We appreciate it. The Michael Duke Show continues. It's Thursday, but we're treating it like Friday because I'm going to be off tomorrow. And so we're talking about firearms. We've been talking about the events in Uvalde. And the president's reaction and other politicians' reactions, including Beto O'Rourke's reaction to this. 
And he didn't just have a speech. Beto O'Rourke actually crashed the briefing in Uvalde. The mayor was giving a briefing on what was happening. The governor was on the podium. The sheriff and everything else was out there. He decides to walk out in front of the crowd and stand out there and start to accuse uh, uh, Governor Abbott of doing nothing, turning it into a political grandstanding moment. And the sheriff of Uvalde was having nothing to do with it. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sit down. You're out of you're out of line and an embarrassment. Sit down and get out of Shooting is right now, and you are doing nothing. No, you need to get his ass out of here. This isn't the place to talk to this This is totally predictable. Sir, you're out of line. Sir, you are out of line. Sir, you are out of line. Please leave this auditorium. I can't believe you're a sick son of a bitch that would come to a deal like this to make a political issue. (laughs) I mean, this is the kind of piece of human excrement that Beto O'Rourke is. But I mean, again, this is the politicians. This is what they're doing. Layla's in Fairbanks. She wanted to sound off this morning. Let's uh, see what she has to say. Good morning, Layla. What's on your mind? Good morning, Michael. And I do listen every morning. I just don't call in. Ah, okay. Well, good. It's good to hear Um, from you. Look, I used to work in community behavioral health. And one of the issues that we had was that the vast majority of social workers believe that it's fine for people who are chronically mentally ill to go off their medication from time to time. And there's also questions about the medications and what they do, especially in younger brains. But this thing about them being able to just go off their medications whenever they want, it's no big deal. Well, it is. You were living here when the guy at the mental health center stabbed one of my coworkers. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a case of, you know, we're just gonna let him let him try medication holiday. Yeah. Yeah. How's that working out? Right. And that's not uncommon. That's not just here in Fairbanks. That's the entire mental health field. They believe that it's okay. Then you've got the psychiatrists, particularly working with young people, who believe that we're just going to experiment with these drugs. And we're going to you know, see if we can fix these kids. You know, Well, we do know that particularly when it comes to antidepressants, that um, long-term use causes an imbalance in neurochemicals. Right. And... There, and so those imbalances, we don't know what those lead to yet. Right. We just, but I think we do. Well, yeah, there's I think not. we do. Well, and it, that's the thing. And then, of course, these kids, these kids have had contact with the cops before. And they just go, oh, they're just blowing off steam. That, that one kid um, uh, had pled uh, you know, anxiety after a cop. After he was questioned, after he, he threatened people, the cops questioned him. He said, "Well, you know, I was just I was feeling anxious, so I, I said that so I could get out of class." Right. And they let him go. 
Well, again, the Parkland shooter, I mean, 20 plus I, interactions with local law enforcement, yeah. a dozen interactions with federal officers. Yeah. I mean, it's it's happened again and again and again. Uh, we have a mental health crisis in this and country, the, and we can't we can't medicate it right, away. It, We've got to find a way to, to fix it. Right, and the major thing to understand is that it is against the law for somebody who has been diagnosed with a chronic mental illness to purchase a gun. So how is it that these guys are getting past the background checks? Background checks don't work. Right. It's pretty simple. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, and, and of course, and, you know, there's the criminal issue, which criminals don't buy guns from gun shops because they know they'll get denied when they go in. And so they just, they have their own sources, people who are willing to sell to them. Uh, again, um, over 80%, yeah, over 83% of the firearms used in these mass shootings were purchased legally. That just shows you right there yeah. that this is, That's I true. mean, that the, the problem is definitely is definitely more than what they're trying to make it out to be. Let's just put it that way. What, what like, they're trying to do is not working, but they yeah. keep trying to do it more. Yeah. You know, as if somehow just doing it harder will fix it. And it doesn't. Layla, I appreciate it, honey. I got to go here. Yeah. I got uh, other calls. Thank you for calling in this morning. Yeah. I appreciate your perspective as a mental right. health care uh, professional. Let's go over here. Jason is in Fairbanks as well. Jason? Hello, Michael. Yes, good morning. Yeah, before I got to what I heard last night, I just want to say Layla is right. I have a niece who was who medicated since she was a toddler, and uh, it, it seemed to have erased the part of her mind and soul that um, controls morality, and she's been in and out of prison. She hasn't killed anyone yet, and I emphasize yet. So, no, Layla's right. But what I heard last night, which I thought would interest you, you know who Howard Bloom is. He's a, you know, a, you know, he's a leftist fellow, but he's always put himself forward as, as being uh, data-driven, that even if something goes against his personal worldview, he has to accept it as being factual. Well, last night I heard him on with George Norrie. He's you know, a regular uh, part, you know, short, short-time guest on there sometimes, and they were talking about this incident, of course, and Howard Bloom made a comment, which it, it stunned me. As I, I thought he was at least an honest man. He said, well, he said, well, he said uh, when we had the assault weapons ban, uh, the, the number of, of crimes committed with automatic weapons, that is machine guns, went down by 70%. Well, as far as I'm aware, <laughs> I, I can't think of any crimes during that time or, even, or after that were committed using machine guns at right. all. And, and, of course, as you mentioned, the RAND, that RAND study showed that the assault weapons ban had minimal impact of any kind. Right, no appreciable so in other words, impact. We have, yeah, we have prominent people who are lying who need to be. Uh, we need to correct them. Absolutely, uh, and in fact, the crimes committed with machine guns are so low they're almost imperceptible on the UCMJ reports uh, of that kind of thing. I mean, it it almost never happens, especially legal machine guns. Um, and uh, and yeah, but this is another part of that that attempt to conflate semi-automatic rifles with machine guns. With- or assault rifles yes. with just semi-automatic guns to begin with. That's a whole nother thing. You're 100% right, Jason. 
That's the goal. The goal here is right, it's just Grandpa's old old uh, semi-automatic hunting rifle. Exactly, it just looks scary, but it doesn't right. fire any bigger rounds or at any higher rate. It's just it just looks like a military weapon. Therefore, it's quote unquote scary, and therefore quote yes. unquote more dangerous. Or yeah. Grandpa's seventy-five-year-old Colt 1911. Same thing. It's the same semi-automatic gun that they want to ban. The same ones that we carried in World War II, the Garand, the uh, the M1, or the 1911. It's 100% true. You're 100% true. Those are the lies that they're using. This conflation of automatic weapons with semi-automatic and black rifles as automatics and just the whole thing. It's insane. All right. Uh, I got one more line. Charles, I'm going to talk to you here in a second. But we've got Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine coming up next. It is The Michael Duke Show. You're home for Common Sense Radio. All right. Uh, sorry about that. I ran out of time, but uh, Charles is still on the line. Charles, I'm sorry. Couldn't get to you on the air. What uh, What was on your mind about the speech class that you were talking about? Senator S.A. Hayakawa, a Japanese man, uh, wrote a book called Language and Thought and Action. And that is a standard people should be required to read before they qualify a public speaker as being uh, worthy of having the position, a public position at all, let alone saying anything. Right. You got to read that book, man. Sen- look it up, Senator Hayakawa, Japanese man. Right. Well, awesome book, man. I- <laughs> Use concrete language only, right. nothing ambiguous. Well, nothing ambiguous. I guess. Thank, Thanks, Mike. Thank you, thank you, Charles. I mean, uh, you know, we don't. I guess we don't have to certify our public speakers when they're, I guess, the president of the United States. That gives them some kind of. But again, utilizing that platform to continuously lie over and over and over again makes no sense whatsoever. All right. Um, let me get uh, let me get Jacob Sullum on the line here before I get too far along, and I'll get, otherwise I'll get distracted, and uh, ain't nobody got time for that. So let me get uh, let me get Jacob Sullum on the line, and we will get uh, we'll get started here, and uh, then I might I have one more phone call on hold here. We might take this other call here real quick, but first let me get Jacob Sullum uh, squared away here. All right, here we go. Nope, apparently I didn't uh, I didn't dial properly. So let me let me do this one more time. Sorry, folks. This is uh, this is what happens when you don't have an engineer or a producer to help you with what you're doing here on the air. Please uh, check us out on Facebook, or check us out on YouTube, rather. Subscribe. I'm looking for 1,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel to get to the next level. Let's see if we can get this uh, squared away. Hello, this is Jacob Sullum at Reason Magazine. Please Uh-oh. Be- Jacob is uh, not ready to... Uh, he's not ready to take my call. Let me try that again here. We'll try it, we'll try it again here in a second. Let's take this other call real quick. And see what uh, what you have to say, and maybe by the time we're done with this call, I can get to Jay. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? 
Carlene, um, Michael, be careful of your clips that uh, you edit out swear words um, so that you don't get a fine. Oh no, that 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 was that's directly broadcast. That was a that was a cut from a direct broadcast over television. I'm not too worried about it. So press three. So okay, I, I think we'll be you. good. But thank you so much, Carlene. I appreciate it. Um, she was talking about him saying "son of a bitch," which, I mean, that's 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 pretty mild these days, right? Um, let me try this again here. We'll try and get Jacob on the phone one more. I know this is great. This is great Facebook or radio or whatever we're doing here, but this is why I normally have guests call in to me instead of the other way around. Oh, all right, we'll try it one more time here for Jacob Sullum. Good morning, Mr. Sullum, my friend. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. How are you? Good, good. Sorry about that. I was trying to talk and type and dial and talk to you all at the same time. It was a hot mess. Multitasking. Yes, I know, and I suck at it, so it's uh, it's all good. Uh, thanks for coming on board this morning. I appreciate it. I know it was late notice, but I caught your article late yesterday afternoon, and uh, I'm taking... Normally, I reserve everything for Friday for firearm stuff, but since I'm taking tomorrow off, I decided now would be this would be timely to get it in. Um, and okay. I appreciate you coming in and joining us. It's just you and me and fifty something of our closest friends on Facebook and plus whatever's on YouTube and Twitch right now. So uh, we're hanging out here. We're about two minutes out from rejoining the radio. So if you hold on just a quick second, I'll uh, be right back to you. Okay. Okay. All right, Jacob Sellum, uh, senior editor from Reason Magazine. Uh, our guest on the program this morning. We're going to rejoin with him here as soon as we, uh, we're going to uh, start with him as soon as we rejoin the radio here. Um, please don't mistake an assault rifle with a made-up term assault weapon. It's just, I mean, the whole thing is, is a it's ridiculous anyway. It's a misnomer. I mean, if I beat you to death with a chair leg, is it an assault chair leg? Or is it just a chair leg that I use to assault you? I, you know, I mean, a hammer. I think more people were kicked and bludgeoned to death with hands, fists, and feet than were killed by assault rifles. Almost every year, year after year after year, usually by orders of magnitude. So are those assault hands, assault fists, assault feet? I just, it's, it, again, it's another way to, uh, to you know, to yoke up the language and try and, and, and evoke something out of nothing, essentially. Um... Sorry, I'm going through here. Arrest Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, I mean, again, you thought the president's, you know, trampoline leap uh, of using a, a tragedy for political gain was bad. And then you watch Beto O'Rourke and you realize that Biden is a piker. I mean, he's an amateur compared to what O'Rourke did walking in on that press conference. At t- I mean, that's just insane. Um, And I don't I, I, I can't remember. Jacob, are you in Texas? Yeah. Yeah, I'm in uh, Dallas. What 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 is your thoughts on that walk in uh, with uh, with O'Rourke on the uh, big press conference that where they were reporting on that? Oh, well, I mean the whole whole premise here is that Republicans don't care about dead children, and we know that because they refuse to implement the policies that we favor. Right. So there's there's never any consideration that they might honestly disagree with you about what policies are appropriate or make sense. Um, And you see this not just in, you know, grandstanding politicians, you know, like, like Beto O'Rourke, but but also 
uh, in in and not just in opinion pieces, but in the news coverage, sure, in mainstream sure. news coverage. Well, hell, all I have to do is fire up my Twitter feed to see that. Yeah, it's exact. Hold the line here. Uh, we're going to be right back to you, Jacob. I, well, maybe we'll start with that. Okay, we'll be back. The Michael Duke Show. Buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeShow.com, where you'll find links to everything that we're doing out there, including the simulcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, the podcasts, and more, and also, of course, broadcasting across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. Thursday, I know it's a little confusing, but we're actually doing Friday stuff on Thursday because I'm going to be off tomorrow for the long weekend. Uh, and so today we're focusing on firearms and gun issues and gun rights. And, of course, the big discussion all morning this morning has been the events in Uvalde and the political, just Machiavellian political BS that's been going on over this kind of stuff. Uh, somebody who uh, I follow quite closely is Jacob Sullum. He is a senior editor and writer for Reason Magazine, and he wrote a uh, piece late yesterday talking about the response to the Uvalde massacre and how politicians basically uh, are reiterating their demands for gun control laws and how irrelevant that actually is, that expanded checks and all these other, all these things that they talk about have no meaningful impact on this. Uh, Jacob Sullivan is our guest right now on the program. Good morning, my friend. Thank you for coming in. Sure. Thanks for having me. So behind the scenes baseball, I actually texted um, uh, Jacob last night. I think it was probably 8 o'clock his time, and uh, he was kind enough to respond and come on, and I really appreciate that. Um, so we were just talking before the break, before the, uh, before we came back, um, about, because we went out of the last, uh, the last segment of the show playing Beto O'Rourke's impingement on this, um, uh, on this, uh, uh, a press conference that they were holding for the, for, for the citizens and for the people and for the press on what was unfolding in Uvalde. Um, and he took that moment to be a political jack wagon and stood up there and started accusing Governor Abbott of not doing anything. He was eventually removed by uh, security, uh, but not until the 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 tech the sheriff of in a very Texas way basically told him that he was a dirty sob for you know basically in, invading these families and these you know this tragedy. Uh, and I since you are in Texas, I thought I'd get your hot take on it. Yeah, I, mean, I think that O'Rourke is, uh, you know, it's a particularly obnoxious variety of, of this kind of self-righteous grandstanding, but it's a much broader phenomenon, phenomenon among uh, Democratic politicians, but also uh, mainstream news reporters, where the assumption is that if you don't support the policies that we want to see, then you don't care when children are murdered. 
right? That's that's the not just the implication; it's <laughs> it is what is O'Rourke uh, said in so many right, words, right. right? So so and and you know what's wrong with that is that it means you're not having a rational discussion about the the specific policies that they're recommending and whether whether they make sense, whether they would be effective. Um, and I'll just give you a couple of examples, which we can get get into a little bit more, maybe. Right. Uh, one one thing that that is has come up repeatedly in in coverage in the New York Times is, oh, Texas has uh, you know loose uh, gun gun laws, and they repeatedly cite the fact that it, uh, they recently eliminated the uh, permitting requirement uh, for concealed carry of handguns. What that has to do with with mass shootings, this particular one or or, or any mass shooting, is is really hard to comprehend. How is that relevant? It's not right. You know, had they not passed that law, this wouldn't have, it wouldn't have happened. It makes no sense. Right. Totally illogical. Uh, and another example that you you hear this again and again is that uh, and and in fact, it looked like the Senate was going to have a vote on expanding background checks so that they cover not just sales by federally licensed dealers, but also private transfers. And and you say, okay, that's a response to this incident or to mass shootings in general. How? Uh, this particular uh, perpetrator uh, uh, bought his guns uh, from a federally licensed deal- dealer. He underwent a background check and he passed the background check. That is typically true of mass shooters. They don't have... Uh, disqualifying criminal or psychiatric records. So they're legally about allowed to buy firearms. So, so expanding the background check uh, clearly uh, would not have affected uh, the shooter in this case, would not have affected the shooter in Buffalo, would not have affected the shooter at Sandy Hook who got the gun from his mother. Um, you know, so you, if you look, drill down into the the details of these cases as, as the National Institute of Justice did in the recent report, uh, you find that I believe it was 13% of mass shooters, and these these are cases from the 60s through to think 2019. Uh, 13% of them got uh, weapons through illegal transactions. Right. So it's just that 13% where you could even theoretically have an impact by changing background check requirements. Right. Um, the rest of them it couldn't even in theory uh, work. Right. So what about that 13%? Well, uh, they got them through, you know, private transfers. If Congress all of a sudden said, you know, when you transfer a gun, you have to go through a federally licensed dealer and you have to conduct a background check. Is everybody going to follow that rule? In all likelihood, very few people are going to follow that rule. That's the been the experience with state. Uh, laws that that were right. supposedly we, require universal background checks. We they're just, not universal, right? We just uh, saw this in know, Washington, right? I mean, Washington State passed this thing, and they're saying that the compliance rate is in almost the single digits. Right. What, what the researchers do is they is they look at what happens after these laws are passed, and then you would expect to see a spike in background checks, assuming that people just you know, didn't just stop selling guns altogether. You would, you would see an increase in background checks. And generally, they do not see uh, either they see no increase at all or they see only a small increase. And what that tells you is that uh, people who own some guns and they want to sell, you know, one or two of them, they generally don't want to take the trouble and expense of going through a, a licensed dealer to conduct a background check, and they don't. So even if Congress passed that law, um, you still uh, are not going to have much of an effect on even the people who have disqualifying records, because in all likelihood, they won't have much trouble finding someone who's willing 
uh, to do a private transfer without the background check. Right, exactly. And Chuck Schumer, at first, he came out swinging uh, right after the incident and immediately said that he is in favor of immediate vote on legislation, but he started to backpedal on that. Yes, it was interesting. I mean, the, the only point of such a vote, of course, it, it's not going to pass. So the only point of that is to show you know, Democrats are good, Republicans are evil, we care about dead children, they don't, you know, in the run-up to the elections. Um, and, and it is, you know, it may be politically smart, I should say, because uh, the background check law, for example, is highly popular, judging from polls. Uh, uh, you know, an overwhelming majority of Americans, including gun owners, support that policy. Um, that doesn't make it a good idea, right? right. Uh, the fact right. That, 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 you know, uh, the vast majority of Americans uh, uh, approve of that does not mean it would work. Um, and, you know, what you're doing, in effect, is you're incommoding the people who are really, uh, you know, careful to obey all, all relevant law. You're incommoding them. You're uh, imposing extra cost and inconvenience on them. Um, most people are not going to follow the rule anyway. Um, and the question is, what payoff do you get for that? I mean, that's the question that people should be asking. What's the payoff? So um, you can look just at mass shootings, which is a, you know, a tiny percentage of total gun homicides, or you can look at gun homicides in general. And there was a study that looked at that in California after they uh, expanded their background check requirements so that notionally anybody who's transferring a gun has to go through a dealer, has to conduct a background check. Um, and they found that there, uh, in the 10 years after that law was passed, there was no noticeable effect on the homicide rate, gun, gun homicide rate specifically. Right. So it doesn't look like this is doing it. And you, it doesn't look, you wouldn't think in advance, just uh, seeing how it's worked uh, elsewhere, that this would have much of an effect. And in practice, it apparently does not. Right. Well, we see the same thing. Again, the president now twice now has gotten up and spoken about the Uvalde incident. And twice he has peppered his speech with, I mean, outright falsehoods and fabrications. This whole idea is we passed the assault weapons ban and mass shootings went down. And when it expired, they tripled. But yet the Rand Corporation and others have tried to quantify what has happened. And they said there was no appreciable difference with the assault weapons ban. I mean, there was nothing that they could find to say it, you know, it, it just nothing. Nothing happened. Right. And yet they continue to parrot these things. You know, oh, they tripled. And then the idea of, you know, that you couldn't buy a cannon, uh, uh, you know, uh, back when they passed the Second Amendment. You couldn't. There was always restrictions. There were no. I mean, that's it's demonstrably false on its face. I mean, those are I could point to a dozen different instances where that's an outright fabrication and a lie. But they continue to say it. Right. And, and they just assume that people won't delve into the details of these policies. I mean, with these assault weapon bans in particular, read the bill, you know, <laughs> it's the least you can do. Read the bill that you think Congress should pass and see what it actually does. Right. What do they mean by assault weapons? So in the case of rifles, it's uh, a semi-automatic rifle that accepts a detachable magazine that has one of these specified characteristics. And they are they include things like pistol grips, an adjustable or foldable or removable stock, uh, threaded barrel, barrel shroud. Um, so if you if you don't have any of those features, you still have a gun that shoots the same ammunition at the same rate, with the same muzzle velocity, just as lethal as it was with the features. Um, but that's legal. Right. That would be legal under the federal ban. It's legal in states like New York and California, where they sell what they call featureless rifles um, that are compliant 
with the bands. And then when when manufacturers offer or, or dealers offer those guns in states like New York, California, the people who support the band say that you're just evading the ban. You're, you know, yeah. no. you're not following the spirit of, of the law, but they're actually complying with the law because right. this is what they said. They said these specific features are prohibited. So if you sell a gun that is otherwise identical, but it lacks those features, it's not an assault weapon. It's not covered by the ban. It's perfectly legal. So the problem is not that you have these sneaky, uh, you know, uh, business, entrepreneurs who are, are, are selling modifications that make your gun compliant, like you, you switch out the, the stock, for example, you, you use a different kind of grip that doesn't protrude below the, the, the action of the weapon. Um, that's legal. Uh, it's, the problem is not that there are people who respond to the law by offering compliant weapons. The problem is that there is really no logic to the distinctions the laws are drawing. Right. Those cosmetic differences make, I mean, whether or not you have a bayonet lug on your rifle makes it no or makes it no more or less uh, uh, effective as a kinetic weapon. I mean, there's not been a whole lot of drive-by bayonettings going on, but yeah, that's and what, and that was, you know. Yeah. That was in the original federal ban that expired in 2004, the, right. the bayonet mount. They removed it because it was subject to so much mockery um, and and it was so patently absurd, but there's still it still has threaded barrels, for example. The barrels threaded or whether it's threaded or smooth, that's crucial somehow. And it, you know it makes no sense. So um, I, I always ask people when they say it's obvious that you know people should not be allowed to buy these weapons of war. You know what what are the what do you think are the specific characteristics that turn something into an assault weapon. Right. And people generally don't know, but it's not, look, the bill is not that, well, it's long because they have <laughs> a huge appendix with all of these specifically, you know, exempted weapons. Right. But the, the main, the main text of the bill is not very long at all. It's pretty straightforward. Just read what it says. And that, that's what they're trying to ban. And that's without even getting to the issue of, you know, pre-existing or, you know, previously owned guns. Grand, uh, grandfather. Our grandfather. Yeah, they're going right. to have to be grandfathered because they're, you know, they were, I think back in 2016, there were, the estimate was there were about 16 million uh, uh, rifles that would qualify as assault weapons under under these laws. Um, it's got to be larger now. Maybe it's closer to, you know, to 20 million now. Um, so that's going to be grandfathered. So, so you're going to have the, all of those available in any case. And even if you didn't, even, even if you could make all of them disappear somehow, um, it, you're still not, the legislation still is not targeting functionally important characteristics. Right. So there's no, just a priori before you even investigate it, there is no, no logical reason why you would expect it to have any noticeable impact. And as you point out, the research that's looked at it has found that it does not seem to have had any, any significant impact. Uh, we're talking with Jacob Selim, senior editor from Reason Magazine. Uh, we're talking about uh, you know gun laws that are being proposed or thrown around as some kind of panacea that's going to fix all of our problems. We know that that's not necessarily true. We're going to dive down deeper into that and then talk about this conflation issue, the conflation of uh, you know assault rifles, assault weapons, black rifles, whatever, with semi-automatics and as we talked about earlier, automatic weapons. And we're going to talk about that here with Jacob Sullivan from Reason Magazine in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Michael Duke Show. 
Okay, we're in the break right now. Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine, uh, uh, our guest on this stuff. Um, Jacob, since you're there in Texas, I mean, what's the reaction been? And you're you're in Dallas, which is not the I guess the hotbed of uh, of uh, of blue thought that Austin is, but uh, it's still a major metroplex. What's uh, what's the overall take that you're getting in your community? Well, I honestly, I have not talked to a lot of people about it, but okay. uh, <laughs> uh, but but my my impression. Well, I mean, lately, the, the the new information that's emerging makes it look like there was a real police failure in this particular case. Uh, you know, you can't assume that that's, that's the explanation in every case. But here, uh, the cops uh, delayed going into the school for 40 minutes to an hour, and that's when the, the perpetrator was killing these children. Right. Um, and... Uh, you know, so we can talk, you can talk all you want about, as Republicans frequently do, about making schools more secure by having more armed people there um, and taking other, other kinds of measures. But if the armed people who are there, including police officers, don't do what they're supposed to do, you know, they're, they're, they're not, it's not going to do any good. Right. Um, Right. Well, and I think that's so, the big thing with solutions, right? I mean, uh, uh, Robbie Sove wrote an article about this uh, late yesterday or whatever, talking about the same thing. Because my my reaction is we've got these soft targets where it's the path of least resistance. These shooters are going to go. And in fact, the shooter in California, I can't remember which which one it was, but he's the, the one that kept all the diaries and the journals. Dr. John Lott talked to me about this here a few years ago, where he said they actually went and read his journals. And he talked specifically, the shooter talked specifically about choosing his targets. And he chose the school because it was a gun-free zone. It was a soft target. He knew he would face no resistance. And I think that's, you know, that's the question here. Hey, folks. What you know, you you can't you can't just ignore the fact that these are places where nobody is going to be armed, and so do we need to turn them all into TSA checkpoints? Do we need to? I don't think that that's the solution, and I definitely no. don't think more cops in the schools is the solution because then you end up with cops dealing with situations that law enforcement really shouldn't be involved in. We've seen that, and we've even seen in the Parkland case the uh, school resource officer hid he hid outside until the thing was right. pretty much over so you right. know that was a very clear case where the police failed in yeah, parkland exactly. and it, this is looking uh like a, a similar sort of case where uh they delayed for way too long and uh, did not take appropriate action there were a lot more of them than there you know there was just one of him and there were a lot of them um and ultimately he was killed by uh border patrol um but it was too late so, uh, so you have to ask, um, you know, what the hell is going on there? Um, I don't think it, it, it you know, as you, I don't think the school should be turned into TSA checkpoints. I don't think, I mean, you know, this is each one of these cases is horrifying, but <coughs> the risk that, uh, you know, any given school is going to be targeted in this way is still very, very small. Right. Um, so you can do take reasonable steps, like you secure entrances, you, you know, yeah, I, I don't yeah. understand how this guy got into the school, right? If the entrance is properly secured, they had him on uh, a surveillance camera, and there was actually um, a, a guard who was a former uh, police officer, I believe, uh, who engaged him, encountered him. It's not clear exactly what he did. So how did this guy get into the school to begin with? Right. And then there's the question of, once he got in, why did they wait so long? Right. Um, 
you know, because so supposedly, I'm no expert on police tactics, but it right. looks like a pretty egregious well, failure. To supposedly, that was one of the big lessons learned in Columbine, right? Because they had all that time to shoot everybody up. And in subsequent issues, they've usually gone in right away because they know that it can happen in just a handful of minutes, even if it's just onesies and twosies officers trying to go in and engage a shooter. But yeah, I mean, what's going on here? Uh, it, it, the solution, and, and as you point out, this is a, a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of all homicides take place in this way. They just happen to be the most visible, the most high visibility, the most heart wrenching, and so that's why they get this kind of uh, this kind of coverage. And it comes back to the politicians wanting to basically appear to do something, anything. They want to appear to actually be be doing something, and that is really probably the most dangerous. Uh, place to put a politician where they just have to do something because they never consider the unintended consequences. We're going to get into that here in just a second. Hold on, Jacob. Uh, we're going to rejoin here in just a moment. Please uh, like and share this video. Please like and follow the show page on Facebook. Please like and share, uh, like and subscribe on YouTube as well. Here we go, the Michael Duke Show. All right, we're continuing now. Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine is our guest. Uh, we were just uh, talking about some of the solutions here, which we'll get it back into here in just a bit. But before we went to break, I wanted to talk with Jacob about conflation uh, because we're seeing this a lot, uh, and it's become more prevalent in recent years, and he actually writes about it um, in uh, uh, in his latest piece here from Reason Magazine, which I will I forgot to post up in the chat room. I'll do that right now. Uh, the piece is entitled, uh, In Response to the Uvalde Massacre, Politicians Reiterate Their Demands for Irrelevant Gun Control. And we've talked about some of the irrelevant uh, ideas that they put forward. But this conflation issue gets even deeper because now we're starting to see more and more how columnists and talking heads and politicians uh, start to conflate this idea. First of all, they created the whole assault weapon moniker. And now they're talking about semi-automatic assault-style rifles and then they start to try and use those terms interchangeably into semi-automatic firearms or semi-automatic weapons. And what most people don't realize is that big black rifles, while they are just they're black and scary, they're just semi-automatic rifles, just like your uh, you know your uncle's M1 Garand that he's got sitting in the closet, or certain Remington hunting rifles that are semi-automatic, or that 89-year-old pistol that's laying in the drawer that's been there forever. It's a semi-automatic. I think it's intentional. They're trying to conflate. Those things with "quote unquote" assault weapons or weapons of war or whatever they want to call it, Jacob. Yes, I mean I think in some cases people are are, are genuinely confused. I mean I wrote about the other day about Gail Collins, who used to be in charge of the editorial page of the New York Times, and now she writes a column I think every other week, and she's been writing about gun control for years and years, but she doesn't seem to have ever bothered to read any of this legislation or to understand. Um, really anything about the guns that she wants to ban. And so I think she just is is really uh, poorly informed and has never bothered to inform herself. I mean, in the same newspaper, you can see you can see these errors being corrected. And the Times has run pieces where they acknowledge that, you know, assault weapon bans a, a, a target of functionally unimportant features that um, uh, that 
uh, you know, there are lots of, of semi-automatic uh, guns, including rifles, that are not covered by these bans, some of which are specifically exempted, even though they're functionally identical, and so on. You do occasionally see pieces like that in the New York Times, right? And, and he, But Dale Collins apparently hasn't read those articles, and right. he just continues to conflate these categories. And so she'll refer at one point to a specific gun that was used in a specific attack in Buffalo, in this case. And and say well that yeah that uh, given the way that he modified it so that it could accept detachable magazines and it also judging from the photograph in his manifesto had a pistol grip that would be an assault weapon under New York law um, uh, and so it, you know it's accurate as these things are defined legally to say that's an assault weapon but then she goes on to talk about semi-automatic rifles, semi-automatic weapons, semi-automatic firearms, as if these categories are interchangeable. But those are much broader categories. And so if she really means that Congress needs to ban semi-automatic firearms, you know, that would encompass, you know, nearly all of the most popular handguns. I think there's one revolver on the list of the 15, 15 most popular handguns, but that it would cover all the other ones. And it would cover um, all of these uh, long guns that don't qualify as assault weapons under any of these laws, and some of which are under the federal ban are specifically exempted. Right? Does it make sense that they're exempted? As it doesn't make sense. No, <laughs> because it's like functional, functionally they're essentially the same. But that's the way these laws work, right? So, so, um, so she has maybe unintentionally zeroed in on something that is functionally significant, whether a gun is semi-automatic or not. Is is significant whether you can whether it automatically you know loads loads around after you pull the trigger, and you, and so that you can fire repeatedly without uh, manually reloading. That is significant, right? But if you say that's the thing we're going to target, then that means you're going to ban all of the all of almost nearly all of the guns that are most popular handguns that are most popular for self defense, along with a host of of rifles that no one uh, has identified as assault weapons. Right. Um, so and I so I don't think she realizes that. Because uh, she seems to think that she's that that they're targeting specific kinds, but then she uses much uses much broader terminology. Right. Then there was a piece, I believe, yesterday, by a former assistant attorney general that was in the Times, um, that does this same bait and switch. Where initially we're talking about uh, this this arbitrarily defined category of assault weapons, but then uh, six or seven times uh, the author refers to either semi-automatic firearms or semi-automatic weapons. Again, sweeping much more broadly. In that case, though, judging from her rhetoric, I think it might have been on purpose because she's complaining not just about these specific kinds of guns being available, but generally Amer that Americans have easy access to guns, period. Right. Right. So, but what you get from that is, you know, first of all, it's constitutionally uh, impossible um, I mean, these are precisely this, these ca categories include precisely the kinds of guns that the Supreme Court sa has said are covered by by the Second Amendment. Right. That are commonly used for lawful purposes. And, you know, specifically handguns, which are the, the court called, you know, the quintessential self-defense weapon. So there's no way that that would ever fly, uh, you know, under the Second Amendment. That's the first problem. <laughs> the second problem is, you know, Americans un own maybe 450 million firearms. Um, so even if you didn't have this constitutional barrier, what are you going to do about that? Right. Exactly. Can you imagine even trying trying to confiscate all those weapons? So it's just a complete fantasy. This idea that you could possibly get rid of all of those guns, right. leaving people only with you know I guess revolvers and single shot weapons. Um, 
right? It just doesn't so, uh, you know, so that has a different sort of problem in the assault weapon. The assault weapon ban makes these arbitrary distinctions that are really not important. Um, and and then, then, but then if you talk about broader classes of weapons, you run into these constitutional uh, issues and just this practical problem where there's just even, you, you, there's no way. Right. <laughs> there's no way you, well, could, you could do that. Right. And it ignores politically or, or, or practically. Right. And as you said, it ignores the constitutional issue of common use and lawful purpose. Um, it, it, it moves all that. And again, going back to what I was talking about during the break is that these types of shooting, while obviously the most highly visible, the most heartbreaking, the one that really pulls on the on the strings of, 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 of the emotions of all Americans, really make up a fraction of a fraction of a percent of all shootings. Uh, all homicides by firearm in the United States. Uh, I mean, more people are kicked, you know, kicked, bludgeoned, and beaten to death with hands, fists, and feet than are killed with all rifles, assault rifles or not, all rifles. Um, in the- rifles were accounted for, I think it's uh, in I think it's 2019, about 5% of, of gun homicides were the type of firearm was specified, according to the FBI. And so only a subset of that would be what politicians describe as assault weapons. Right. And meanwhile, more than nine out of 10 of the weapons are handguns. Right. Um, and in fact, I mean, handguns are, are overwhelmingly used in, in mass shootings as well. I mean, not the percentage isn't as high. It's like, I think it's 77% versus, you know, over 90%. But still, you, when you talk about gun homicides, you're, you were really primarily talking about handguns. Right. And, and, uh, so how what what you do about that? I don't know because uh, you know all of these weapons are out there already. People have a right to possess them. The uh, criminals who are using them are not primarily obtaining their weapons, you know, over the counter at a gun store. If you look at surveys of criminals, uh, armed criminals, uh, you find they're getting them from several different kinds of informal sources in general. Right, right. So they're, you're getting them through private transfers, you're getting them from, you know, black market dealers, you're getting them from friends and acquaintances and family. And none of those transactions would be touched by a new law that says, oh, you know what, you have to conduct a background check now. Um, so it's completely unrealistic to suppose that a law like that would affect <clears throat> in any kind of significant way uh, crime in general, let alone this very small subset, you know, the mass shootings. Right. Well, and you say unrealistic, and let's talk about the impact, because it's unrealistic to expect that this would have any impact um, for, I mean, for one prime specific reason, in that the impact would be on law-abiding Americans. And, you know, look, criminals, by definition, break the law. That's why we call them criminals, right? They've already made a decision. It's already illegal to carry a gun on school grounds. It's already illegal to shoot and kill people. It's already illegal to do all these things. And yet the politicians continue to say, if we just had one more law, that would fix it. That would be the solution. And yet we've got something like 20,000 different regulations regulating firearms on the books across all the statutes, and yet it still continues to happen. That law is going to do nothing but, as you pointed out earlier, make it harder for average citizens to obtain a firearm for home protection. It will disproportionately affect low-income and minorities because they're the ones that are usually getting those kind of things to protect themselves. And now if you have to create hoops and tests and and firing ranges and licensing fees and all this kind of stuff you put that stuff out of reach for them the only people affected are law-abiding citizens criminals just don't care right and so the i mean the only hope 
that you have of having an impact on violent crime in general or on uh, mass shootings in particular through laws like these is the extent to which they dry up the supply or just make it harder to obtain the weapons, you know, obviously for everyone, but, (laughs) but specifically how that would affect the criminals that you're interested in. Right. So that's, that's sort of the premise of this whole thing. Um, you know, if you pass this law, yes, it's going to make things harder for for everybody, but also it might make things harder for individual criminals. And the question is how much harder, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, you know, if, for, for example, if there's a, there's a, a would-be mass shooter who has a disqualifying record, therefore he doesn't want to buy a gun from a gun dealer. He wants to avoid the background check. Um, and, and then Congress says, well, there has to be a background check for all sales. Does that mean that he therefore will undergo a background check? No, it probably does not. Judging, judging from the, the massive noncompliance with that kind of law at the state level, um, you know, it's not going to be a significant obstacle. I mean, you know, look, especially for people who are determined, right? And so, you know, somebody who who is is ready to commit mass murder uh, is pretty motivated. Ordinary criminals who who need guns for you know for their for their careers are are highly motivated to get them. And so, even if you do have some kind of impact on the supply, uh, those barriers are going to deter. Uh, criminals in general and mass shooters in particular, the least, right. the least uh, deterrent effect on the people that you're trying, trying to deter. Right. Let's uh, let's finish up here uh, with you, Jacob. I don't want to hold you too much longer. I appreciate you coming on um, with the potential solutions. And as you pointed out, the left solution, of course, is to ban all guns. We'll create a utopia. We'll do all this kind of stuff. But we know utopian type societies even australia norway and i mean they've all experienced the same kind of thing the criminal element is going to do what the criminal element does um but so then but on the right their idea is essentially from what i can tell is to turn the the schools into tsa checkpoints you know uh uh uh, self-isolating metal detectors and uh you know a squadron of police in the schools and you know hardening the buildings barricades all this kind of stuff um, and and I, I think that there's a solution in there somewhere. I don't think that's the right answer. What What is your take on how we prevent these kind of tragedies on soft targets like schools? Well, I mean, I mean the first thing that we should say is even though uh, these crimes are horrifying every time they happen um, and they get a lot of attention, understandably, they are still quite rare in the context of all of the schools in the United States. It's a, There's a very tiny chance that any given school is going to be subject to an attack like this. So you have to keep that into perspective. Right. So then when, if you're asking, you know, how, what kind of security measures make sense for a school? Um, uh, I'll just give you one example. My, my daughter goes to a, a junior high school and they, uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was, they announced this new policy where they're basically going to ra- be randomly searching students and their, and their backpacks. And the justification for this was, you know, we're worried about guns. And and when you ask, well, had they actually had any problems like that? Uh, not, not necessarily talking about mass shooters, but just like a kid who brings a gun to school and you know and might get into a dispute that has lethal consequences. No, they never actually have a problem like that. Um, and so why are you uh, doing these random searches without probable cause and conditioning these students to you know not question authority so that when they're adults they will you know 
willingly surrender their Fourth Amendment rights? There's no good answer. Um, and, I don't, and ultimately, I don't think they even went through with that plan, even though they announced that this is the new policy. So stuff like that seems completely absurd to me. Um, you, so when you're talking about rational responses, things, you know, it makes sense to secure entrances. It makes sense to have armed people around who not only are armed, but are prepared to respond. Right. And as I mentioned earlier, in this case in Texas, it looks like there was a, an egregious failure by police because they were uh, waiting outside for 40 minutes to an hour while these children were murdered. Um, so the armed people were there. But they just didn't do what they were supposed to do. Right. Um, so, so loading schools up with you know school resource officers or even having teachers be armed, you know, it could make a difference. But it only makes a difference if people actually do what they're supposed to do. Right. And I think you know, again, <clears throat> putting police, more police officers inside the school leads to further complications uh, with police uh, taking on uh, duties and, and, you know, using law enforcement for things. I mean, there was an instance where they tried to arrest some girl for a dress code violation or more students get restrained for minor, you know, minor infractions. There's all kinds of problems with that. I think the biggest, you you get, they turn disciplinary problems into criminal justice issues and they bring in the police instead of handling it administratively. And that's a huge problem. Right. You have all, all of these kids who otherwise, you know, would have been subject to some kind of inter-school discipline, they get arrested instead, and that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yes, you have to think through the consequences. Uh, what may seem a logical response, more cops in schools, that'll do it, um, yeah. is, it has all kinds of downsides that you need to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the best solution, as you pointed out, hardening the entrances, you know, making sure that the doors are locked and secured, having the security cameras, doing those things. Uh, you know, if you want to have one school, armed school security guard, great. I think the biggest thing you could do, though, is to allow those teachers that want to defend themselves or their students that you allow them to be armed. Uh, I mean, I think that that because then you have then the shooter would have no idea how many people in the building are armed and ready to go. Um, they are there in the situation. They don't have to steal themselves to dr- dive into a building that's got they, – they are already there. It's happening in front right. of them, you know, and I think that would go a long way. But, nope, you know, the left doesn't want to hear anything about that. Yes, I mean, I think – I don't want to oversell that idea, but I think it's reasonable to say teachers who want to be armed, who are, are properly trained, who are responsible, that they should be allowed to do that. I don't think there's yeah. much risk – that they will be, you know, accidentally killing people, that sort no, of thing. No, no, I don't um, think so. And it could, it could help. It yeah. could help. I mean, we We're, we don't know. This is a counter, counterfactual speculation, but, you know, what if one or two teachers in that school had a gun? Might that have made a difference? It might have. Yeah, it might have. Know. And it, the only the only thing that we do know is that it was a person with a gun that stopped the guy with a gun. Um, hey, we got to go. Folks, uh, back with more of the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. What is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American Radio. Jacob Sellem, Reason Magazine. Um, Yeah, my friend, I mean, I think that there's a lot to that. I think it's not just any one solution. I think, you know, if you allowed teachers who wanted to be, and I'm not saying mandate, you don't arm people who don't want to be armed, but if you allowed people who wanted to be able to defend themselves Uh, the ability to do so, and maybe because they're teachers and they're going to be in the public, maybe they have to go through a little more training or something like that, which I think is every gun owner's responsibility anyway. But, I mean, they, you know, I think that would go a long way between the hardened entrances 
And, uh, you know, I'm not talking metal detectors. I'm just like lockdown schools, you know, buzzer type systems with cameras and everything. And uh, having teachers potentially armed in the school, that would go a long way to slowing that kind of stuff down. Yes, I mean, uh, I, it certainly seems more logical to me than a lot of the other proposals, uh, but we don't want to present any, any of these things as, as a panacea. Uh, no. But, uh, you know, there are sensible steps that can be taken. Um, and uh, oh, we didn't even talk about red flag laws, but, uh, right. uh, you know, that, that's, that's, I think, potentially helpful if they have proper due process protections, which they generally do not. But if they did, uh, it, it, I'm not going to say it could never help. It might help. And, right. and, but what, you ha- what happens in case after case in both of these two recent shootings, um, there does not look like there, was, there were any clear signs that these people were going to commit crimes like these. Right. You know, there was the one in the Buffalo shooter. Uh, he, he had the school project where they asked him about his post-graduation plans and he mentioned murder, suicide. And like, Oh my God, that's a red flag. Right. Right. But then when they asked him about, he was reported to the state police. They asked him about it. He said it was a joke. Right. Well, it could have been a joke. Right. I mean, you know, kids are stupid and they, they say things like that. Right? So when they investigated, they did a psychiatric evaluation. And now everybody's saying in retrospect, they obviously should have stopped and they should have gotten a red flag order. And that would have stopped him from buying a gun, you know, through a, a licensed dealer. But I'm not sure about that. I mean, there may be other facts that emerge, but I'm not sure the police failed in that case because it doesn't look, you know, the people who knew him. The students who knew him and known him for years, none of them thought he posed a danger. They thought he was a bit weird, a bit introverted. Um, but but I don't I didn't see anything in that case. And in this other case in, in Texas, um, they're saying there were no signs. There was no mental health issues. There was right. no violence. There was no criminal record. It's a juvenile. Um, so, you know, what are the red flags that we're going to use uh, to issue these orders? And is there a danger, and there absolutely is, <laughs> that people will show what you consider to be red flags that actually turn out to be completely harmless? And that's going to be true in the vast majority of cases. Right. Well, and we can uh, point to case after case after case where there's been a failure. I mean, even of the laws that are on the books, I mean, you know, or interactions or red flags. Uh, I mean, the Parkland shooter and the Pulse nightclub shooter, both of them had interactions with law enforcement. The one at Parkland had something like 20 different interactions with local yeah. law enforcement and with federal law enforcement. Right. I mean, I you think know. the Parkland case is a much clearer example. And they, you know, they passed, a, they did pass a red flag law in Florida in response to that. That's a much clearer example of where there really were warning signs where a rational person looking at this would say, huh, this kid seems dangerous to me. But in other cases, you don't necessarily have... Right. Right. evidence that strong yeah. and so i don't want to always be be saying well because we know this guy became a mass killer obviously somebody screwed up somewhere along the way because it's not necessarily true right exactly well there like you said yeah. there's no panacea there's no magic you know there's no magic wand that you can wave here to fix every problem even with heart even if you turn them into tsa checkpoints things still can go wrong uh you know it's a bad bad world out there and unfortunately this this kind of thing happens and it's tragic but the solution is to not basically penalize all of society for the actions of a very few we have to figure out a way to deal with that uh and i think the mental health issues are definitely one of the big big factors in that as well uh final thoughts jacob Sullum here reason magazine yeah i mean i I, whenever i talk about these issues i hear from people who say "Well, what's your solution why are you being so negative (laughs) are you shooting down other people's proposals and you have no solution of your own because there is no easy answer Right. right And there's certain there's certain marginal things that could that could make a difference, um, but when people propose policies and saying we have to pass this policy, 
to show that we care, to show that we're doing something. I say, well, that's not a good enough reason. You need to actually weigh the costs and benefits of that policy. That's all right. I'm asking for. Right. You know, I think that's re- a reasonable <laughs> request is that we actually talk about what this policy would actually do, what is the, the downsides might be, and whether it, it actually promises to be effective. Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely. Jacob Sullum, Reason Magazine. You could find him at reason.com. Uh, thanks, my friend, for coming on. I really appreciate that last minute uh, that you bailed me out there. I appreciate it. Sure. Take care. All right. Thanks so much uh, for coming on board. Jacob Sullum. Uh, again, reason.com. If you want to read his works, uh, his uh, his piece, this is his latest piece that we were just talking about here this morning uh, here on the program. Uh, all right, we're coming back into it. We're 30 seconds out right now, getting ready to rejoin and uh, talk uh, with you. We're going to talk about solutions. We're going to talk about the potential solutions uh, that uh, Jacob and I were just discussing. Um, and uh, and we'll see what you guys have to say. We'll open up the phone lines as well and to talk about that uh, at 433-3150. So I guess I'll throw that up there right now. We'll get it uh, all ready if you want to be part of it. Now's the time to do it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. Uh, we're continuing here. One final segment, and I'm opening the phone lines up one more time for Q&A, discussions, and more. So what are the solutions to this? Now, the the, the bottom line is is that there there's no, there's no perfect solution to any of this. I can tell you right now the answer of penalizing 99.99% of all Americans, law-abiding gun owners out there for the actions of, you know, madmen is not the solution. There is no legislating evil or insanity. There's no way to legislate it. Evil is going to do what evil's going to do when somebody's become a criminal and decided to break with societal norms and they decided to, you know, rape, rob, steal, kill, whatever. There's just there's no, you know, there's no legislating that. The same thing with insanity, only worse, because you can't even put your, you know, you can't wrap your brain around what somebody like that does. That, so that's the answer from the left, right, is all these gun laws, none of which would really have made a hill's beans worth the difference for this incident. None of that would have, would have effectively changed any of those things. And then the right solution of, well, we need to put, you know, a whole, a whole a, a platoon of armed police officers in the schools. And again, that comes with its own unintended consequences of turning every minor disciplinary action into a criminal justice issue. And that's not just speculation. That's happened over and over and over again. You can look. uh, Robbie Sove over at Reason Magazine has uh, written about this. All these things that have happened where they, uh, you know, where they, they basically, you know, they've uh, arrested children for violating dress code that they uh you know that they have there's been a fourfold increase in the state of Florida for example after doubling the number of police officers in school a fourfold increase in incidents of students uh, students being physically restrained by the police um fights between students and 
sexting investigations, and even problems on the playground have become the purview of the criminal justice system. So that's a problem in and of itself. And on top of that, we've seen also that it's not the perfect solution because we saw what happened at Parkland, where that school resource officer basically went and hid when the shooting starts and was later cleared uh, when he was charged with it because the courts had acknowledged, as they have in the past, that he did not have a duty to defend the the children. That was not, that's not, that's not a duty. That's, I mean, that's gone on over and over and over again. Creating, you know, again, uh, you know, metal detectors at every door with gates that slam shut if something goes, you know, if something dings in your pocket or what, you know, the, the to me, the best solution is if you want to have an armed guard or two, have an armed guard or two. I don't know as they need to be police officers. I think an armed guard or two would not be bad. Hardening the entrances, locking them down, securing the schools and entrances and exits. And, you know, having the buzzer, you know, got to buzz them in kind of thing with the, with the video cameras and everything else. And then the big thing is allowing those teachers who want to, and I want to stress that, want to, to be armed. Those teachers that want to be able to protect themselves and others. I mean, how many tragic stories do we have to hear about teachers throwing themselves in front of these gunmen to protect their children getting gunned down with nothing more than, you know, their 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 loving attitude towards their children? That's all they have to defend themselves. What if there were a handful of teachers in the school who had decided to arm themselves and got the training you know needed to, to face active shooters? And do that. They're there in the situation. They're not like the Parkland SRO who's, you know, outside the building hiding. They are there in it. They don't have to be the police who wait outside 40 minutes for the thing to be over. They are already in the middle of it. They have they have the ability to do it. And what kind of factor would that would that give to these criminals to understand that they just don't know who in that building may be armed? That they could turn around any corner and face somebody who's armed and 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 have that be that there have been instances. Um, uh, and I, it was one of the California shooters, and I don't remember which one, but he kept journals about his whole thing. And Dr. Lott, Dr. John Lott and I talked about this, and he wrote in his journal how he chose his target. He chose a target specifically that did not have any guns. It was a gun-free zone. He wanted that soft target. But what if, you know, 10% of the teachers had been armed? You know, if you've got 40 or 50 teachers in a school, now you've got you got something to deal with that gives uncertainty. That helps slow things down. But again, no solution is perfect. Let's go back to the phones and see what you have to say. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Morning, Michael, Greg, and Homer. Hello, Greg. How's it going, my friend? My guy, it's a beautiful day down here. Sunshine and no wind. I'm liking it. I, I, I'm jealous, my friend. I'm totally no. jealous. Well, hopefully you get to come down and play this weekend. That'd be fun. Yeah, I, I, I'm a for, I'm a, fortunately I got four days of honeydew to get the rest of my summer clear. So we'll we'll do what we need to do. Oh what, darn it! Okay. What's on your mind today, my yeah. friend? Hey, uh, well, you know, talking about making schools better. You know, the NRA had a really good program, and I'm unsure if it's still active, but it was called National School Shield, and they sent trained. Uh, people in that knew security, they would do an analysis of the school and give the suggestions on a written report 
to the, the school board or the principal or whatever. And then they, the school could apply for grants through the NRA Foundation to help fund upgrades to make the school more secure. And a lot of it was, you know, doors that got left open and, and uh, or, you know, in the back of the building, there'd be a door that, you know, was always open. Right. And people knew that. So if it's suddenly locked, they can't make uh, unobserved access into the building. And But they did all these things. And we talked. To, I talked to a couple schools about it, and they weren't interested. They didn't want to spend any money. <laughs> Yet our education system is so funded. Right. It's all <laughs> I, about the children, right? It's yeah, about the I children. I that was some sarcasm. Yeah. I hope you caught that. Yeah, no. No, it's it's tragic, and, and nothing bothers me more than people who say, but you can't put guns with teachers' pockets because they something – I mean, like anything is going to stop these teachers from doing what they would do. If, they're, if they decided to do bad things, they could. That's the thing. I mean, all of a sudden you're saying yeah. because you gave them a gun or allowed them to bring their own gun – that somehow that's going to make it more dangerous? Well, I just can't imagine my child in the room with a gun. Well, you're really happy when the police officer with a gun shows up. Is that the same thing? I mean, it's the whole thing is so astonishing to me, Greg, um, that, I, that, you know, that we can't even talk about that. It, it blows my mind. My friend, it's good to hear from you. I'm sorry I'm up against it. I got to go. I got two more lines on hold, but we're just not going to be able to get to them on the air here. Folks, we're out of time. I'm off tomorrow and Monday for the weekend. We will see you back on Tuesday here. Thank you for being part of it. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is uh, on Tuesday. I'm gonna. I'm done. I'm. I'm already mentally checked out. Unfortunately, I got a full day of work ahead of me. But that's how it goes, I guess. We'll see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Hug. Hug those kids. Love them. And you know what? Love one another. Be kind. Live well. The Michael Duke Show. All right. Um, I got one more call on hold that held on here. Let me take that call just to see who it is. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, Michael. This is Melissa on Fairbanks. Hey, Melissa. What's on your mind? So uh, I started out homeschooling our kids, then thought I was doing it wrong because uh, I put my kids in classes part-time, and the teachers and the principal told me I was doing it wrong, so I listened to them and put my kids in public school for a year. And that was the year that uh, Sandy Hook happened, and I had kids that same age as those kids who died. And I went into the school, and I told the principal, you can't defend my children. And she was horrified by what I said. I withdrew the kids, and I took them back home to homeschool, and I enrolled them in 22 uh, classes. In 22? Cl- in 22 still- in 20, classes? Or, I mean, I'm sorry. No, like firearms class oh 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 in training firearms training 22 rifles okay got it sorry yeah yep and we're still uh, homeschooling to this day and uh, all told i've been my oldest is 23 so we've been homeschooling since he was born i guess you could say and uh my 14 year old at the age of seven was the most accurate shooter in her class <laughs> you gotta love it you gotta love it no, you know, and I agree. I mean, that's the thing. They can't guarantee your child's safety. There's just not, there's no guarantees nope. in this world, you know. You can do everything you can do. There's no, no guarantees even, in this world, but that's for it. Yeah. Even if they lock all of the access doors except the front door, there's they can't keep people out because if someone wants in, they're going to find a way to get in. Everybody's got cell phones. You call your cousin or your nephew or your whoever that's in school and say, hey, 
I'm going to come visit, open the door. So they right, do. Right. And you get in that back door. So Right. Well, I mean, and there's reports on this Uvalde thing that uh, there's been several reports that he crashed his car into the building. Now, they're not saying where or how, but what if he crashed him through the front doors? I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it. But, yeah. you know, if the school was locked down, as they say that most of them are down there, locked down with video cameras, what if he just drove his truck or his car into the front door and was able to walk through the glass there and, and get in? I mean, it, again, criminals are going to break the law. And the laws are yep. only to keep society could, polite, right? Yep. Or you could have a friend who drives a yeah. vehicle through the back door and everybody yeah. runs back there and he walks in the front door. Yeah, you have no idea. It's, it's you know, and of course we could speculate a million different ways, but I mean, just we, we have to have a reasonable conversation about this. And unfortunately, anytime you start talking about, you know, putting more armed security or police in schools or allowing teachers to be armed or anything else like that. They're like, I don't want my children to live in that kind of world. Well, it's, I'm sorry. That's the world. And whether it's a shopping mall or a movie theater or a Halloween, uh, uh, or a Halloween parade where a guy drives a truck into a bunch and kills a bunch of people with a truck. That's the world we live in. I would love to live in your We've utopian society. We've always lived in a world from the beginning of time where you have to defend yourself. Yep. And, you know, maybe in some societies it's been defending yourself from mean words. Today's society is, you know, if it's not weapons, guns, it's uh, knives or it's vehicles. Right. You always just have to have your eyes open and you always have to know where the exit is. And you always just have to be prepared that somebody's going to be stupid. And so we try to teach our kids that. And every couple of years, sign them up for safety classes yeah. or target practice classes and that kind of thing. And it's mentally exhausting, maybe, but you have to be aware of your surroundings. And all of them are in martial arts, and our uh, instructor, our master, taught them that. They said, you always look. You don't look at the ground or your phone when you're walking. Look around. Right. Is there somebody sitting in a vehicle? Is there somebody behind a vehicle? Look around you. Yeah, si- you can't trust people. Situational awareness is a whole, we could do a whole show on situational awareness, Melissa, that's for sure. Hey, I appreciate you calling in. Thanks, oh, yeah. for, uh-huh. thanks for being part of it today. I ho- sure. hope, you, hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thanks for coming in. All right, folks, I mean it this time. I am, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly. Mandatory parent in school, uh, you know. I got to tell you, all this is reason number 1,262 why I homeschooled my kids. All of these reasons that we just talked about, from the actual quality of the education to the ability to defend, uh, to the, you know, to keeping them safe, all those reasons, and then some. All right, my my friends, we're going to go. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for being part of it. I hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy yourselves. Don't forget to go out to YouTube and uh, subscribe to my channel, will you? The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 